This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How's it going? I'm doing well. Yourself? Well, you know, we survived the rainstorms here last night. Uh, that was that was quite productive. Yeah, got a little hail, I think, for about uh, here for about thirty seconds or so. Brief. Oh, wow, I didn't. I did not get any. I did not get any hailstorm. This was, uh, of course, uh, a Monday night uh, with, the, with the storms that came in. Uh, Evan, how's the weather? Evan Grant, how's the weather out there? In surprise, you know, Kevin, I I, I have you on Zoom right now, and I can yeah. see you, but the, your voice, the richness of your voice right now, it, it <laughs> sounds like my grandpappy's out on the back porch, just in his rocking chair, got his corn cob pipe in his mouth, and he's telling me tales from olden years and and it just warms my soul first of all you didn't have a grandpappy or a back porch or any warm tales from any of your relatives all no. of your relatives were screaming at you all the time <laughs> this is pretty much true and it is usually in a foreign language like yiddish or something so um <laughs> but in in my brain I, I have those memories, and, and you're fulfilling that right now. Well, I'm glad to do whatever I can to help you out there. Meanwhile, uh, it's beautiful in Arizona. I will just have you know that we uh, we didn't have any hail. We haven't had any haboobs this spring. Um, oh, I love the spring haboobs in, in um, Arizona. Um, there is nothing like them. And uh, it's going to be a little bit cool today for the Rangers game with, uh, I believe, I, I don't even know who they play these days. The, the number of innings in games, the re-entry of pitchers, I just show up and tell them, what, and they tell me what I'm supposed to do. It doesn't really matter, does it, who they're playing? Well, as, as I guess, and we'll get to this later on, it, it, it does as long as Rangers pitchers keep dropping like flaws. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. No kidding. That's an ugly thing. It's an ugly thing, but we will talk about that later. We'll talk about the, uh, the Rangers. We'll talk about the Mavs coming up on the trade deadline. Um, and, uh, we're going to talk a lot about personnel today and who is going to be coming or going or the prospects for which, and, uh, and we're going to start with, uh, the Cowboys and what, uh, they might have available to them that they've already done in pre-agency and what's going to be coming up in the draft as well. Uh, and, and that's, largely dictated uh, by what they do in free agency. So, uh, David, uh, they, they signed Keanu Neal over the weekend uh, to play safety. Uh, that that kind of caused quite a stir, not just because he's a nice player when he's healthy, uh, but because of the kind of safety he is, uh, more of a box safety than, than, a, than a center fielder. Uh, and, you know, that was the one thing. They had a guy back there last year who arguably was their best player in the secondary, I thought Donovan Wilson. And this would seem to kind of uh, uh, impede his progress, if you ask me. 
Well, and that was people. I know when the season was over and, you know, every new coordinator who comes in, uh, head coach or coordinator likes to get his players in to help with his system in the first year. And Keanu Neal was a free agent. Uh, you knew he wasn't going to stay in Atlanta anymore. And it was a, a, a logical connection for him to come to Dallas. Uh, and at that time, people said, well, but, you know, Donovan Wilson's actually coming off a pretty good year. Don't you want to build on that? Well, Donovan Wilson's a late round pick. Uh, Neil is, um, you know, he's like a top 20 pick. Uh, th- th- there's certainly a difference in talent. Now, he's had injury issues, but Neil is at least one of the more highly regarded free agents this team has signed in a while. There, uh, it's not a given because of the injuries he's had. Uh, but if he's worked his way through those, this could be a good signing. And, and the Cowboys haven't made a lot of good signings in, uh, in free agency. In, in fact, you know, you go back and you look at it. Um, in the last eight, eight free agent classes, there have been 29 players uh, that the Cowboys have signed at this stage of free agency. Eight of those were cut before the regular season even got underway. Four others were cut before the season was over, and one other retired. So that means 13 of the 29 players they've taken in this stage of free agency haven't made it through a full season with the club. That's 44.7%. So so right now, this Cowboys draft class, uh, free agent class is at six members. Based on what's happened over the last eight years, one of the six players they have signed to this point will be cut before camp starts, and another will be gone before the season is done. So that is how you really have to look at this class. But in looking at this class, Keanu Neal is the most likely uh, to be a, a guy who can step in and start from day one. Now, I, I think they'll use him in several roles. He'll be strong safety. He'll also, you know, teams are primarily in the nickel these days. Now, that's really the base defense. And uh, there's talk of that, of put, using him at that weak side linebacker spot, which would take Jalen Smith off the field in those situations. And uh, I know we're talking about free agency here, but I, I found that uh, very – very enlightening over the weekend that so many Cowboys fans were hanging on that 3 p.m. deadline where Jalen Smith, uh, if he was going to be on the roster this year and have his $7.2 million base salary guaranteed, the Cowboys had to do it by 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. And a lot of fans out there were hanging on that deadline thinking that the Cowboys were going to move on from Jalen Smith. Well, the club had no serious discussions about moving on from Jalen Smith. There was no like last minute reprieve uh, that kept him on this roster. But, uh, you know, so many cowboy critics of Smith were convinced or maybe hoped that he wouldn't be here, uh, that they were disappointed by the news. And and to me, that that's very instructive of where Jalen Smith is in his career, because I think one of Dan Quinn's biggest reclamation projects in his first year's defensive coordinator is getting Jalen Smith back to performing it at a level uh, that doesn't infuriate Cowboys fans to the way it has the last couple of seasons. I would like to do a Venn diagram 
of uh, Cowboy fans' reaction to Jalen Smith over the last two years um, and Ranger fans' reaction to Rugnet Odor over the last two yeah. years and see exactly where they intersect. Um, uh, you know, Odor hit a home run in, the, in a spring training game yesterday, and I think my tweet was, Rugnet Odor has homered, so I guess unleash your anger. Yeah, it, it is, and, it, and it's interesting because uh, a lot of the exuberance that – Jalen Smith exhibited when he was coming back off the knee injury that, that uh, delayed his career, NFL career. Uh, boy, fans really embraced it. And they just like, wow, look at that passion. Look at that love of the sport. You know, what a great story. What a great guy. Well, he, he has kept that in his persona. And now he celebrates individual moments when his team is down 28 to 3. And it doesn't really resonate with fans well. And he's done it enough and enough and so many times that it's really turned the fan base against him. And, and it's about, you know, he comes across as a guy who brings attention to himself and he's not about team. And he um, is really indifferent uh, to what is going on around him. He's not connected to the, 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 the purpose of being out there, which is to win the game. And, yeah, and I think that's I think that's part of the Venn diagram too, right? Is yeah. the over the the over bravado and uh, celebrations that both guys have, and and I, I know having watched a cow, you know, I watch Cowboys games, I guess, from a little different perspective than I do a Ranger game, but I can see where the Jalen Smith celebrations would set a lot of people off. Um, well, it's not just the celebrations. It's the fact that the guy just doesn't make plays. He doesn't make plays at the line of scrimmage. He's not stopping running backs in the hole. You know, it's it's yes. Uh, last year I characterized it as it's like he's always busted down doors and jumping through windows and chasing a perp down the alley before he makes a tackle. You know, how about just making a tackle at the line of scrimmage, stopping somebody? You know, he's he's chasing. Sometimes he's not running after the guys he's chasing. You know, it's. Uh, it's just not – it hasn't been a, a, a good couple of years for, for Jalen Smith. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see this this fall uh, in Dan Quinn's defense. If he does take him off the field and pass the situation, which I, I think he should. If we, we've watched uh, Jalen, he, he doesn't cover people well. You know, and I, and I don't know that this is all his fault. I think some of it is the fact that he's, he's struggled to recover from that horrific injury that he had. And, and I think it affected his athleticism. I don't think he's as good an athlete as he was at Notre Dame. And so uh, I, I, I believe that if you take this guy off the field, if he's not going to be, you know, a three-down linebacker, um, is he a guy? Well, then why are you paying him $7.2 million to be basically yeah. a strong side linebacker or a two-down player? You know? Exactly. And, and that's the – but the fact is they did it this year. And, and this is the crucial year for him. You know, my whole point is, uh, you know, Jalen, you know, Jalen celebrate his indiscriminate celebration, let's call it, is, is the swipe. And uh, the, the Cowboys are going to go with him this year, see what Dan Quinn can do. But, but I do believe this organization is going to swipe left next year uh, when it finds itself in this position if, if you don't see uh, the Jalen Smith that you saw from a couple of years ago. And, you know, Evan, with what you were saying, too, you know, I, I think you're right. And, and I'm struck by this with, uh, with Jalen Smith because uh, I, don't, I don't think he's an abysmal player. I, I don't think he is as bad as fans believe, as critics believe he is. Uh, he didn't have a good season. Uh, he could certainly play better. But, you know, I don't think this is an irretrievable talent. 
but emotionally that is what i mean you know it's it's, it's an either or view and it's just like this guy's horrible get rid of him well he's not horrible but he's not playing to the level we've seen before and he's not playing to the level he should that does not mean he's horrible <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I think Odor probably suffers from, from some of that as well. He's not as bad as the perception is. Odor might be that bad. Actually. I, I think there, I mean, you know, the difference here for, with Odor and, and Jalen Smith is Ruggie's had seven years in the big leagues. And uh, the last four, statistically, he's measured up as a very poor player. But a lot of the things that you say, David, apply in both situations that, I think that the celebration element of it, particularly when you're down or when you're breaking an O for 20 streak, um, those tend to rub fans the wrong way. And if you add on top of that, that you haven't been a very good performer overall, it's just going to bring the, the, um, the emotional element into it very, very much. But at the end of the day, and I, I Odor is 27. How old is Jalen Smith? 25. Yes, I believe so. And at the end of the day, these guys still have ability in front of them and they still have an opportunity and there just aren't any better choices right now. So you give them the opportunity and, and there's, there's, there's skill there. And if, if they ever bring the, the level of skill up to the level of celebration, you, you might actually have a contributing player who helps you get to the next level, whether it's uh, stopping opponents' defenses or driving in runs. Uh, Evan, I know you really wanted to hijack this uh, Cowboys conversation and turn it into the Rangers. We're going to try to concentrate on the Cowboys for now, and then we'll bring the yeah, Rangers. Back off, play. Evan. Yeah, Good back gosh. off. I've got, a, I've got a one track mind, Kevin. The Rangers, I, I try to bring everybody into the conversation. I am a <laughs> oh, Mr. Inclusive. We, we would like to think you had a one track mind. You know, I, I'm giving you like a half a track at this point, you know, an eight track an mind. Eight tra- eight trail, exactly. Uh, so, Jose, but, that's an old man reference. If yeah, you want to put Jose, that first one yeah, down for the that, show, mark that thank up. you. Thank you. Yeah, he's wondering what an eight track is. So, uh, David, I want to talk about something here that uh, was uh, brought up the other day. I believe it was in a Michael Gelkin uh, story talking about uh, comments made by Leighton Vanderesh about the leadership on this defense. And it was very intriguing to me uh, because, uh, of course, you know, uh, it's hard for us on the outside to know who's a leader and who's not right guys can look like leaders. Leighton Vanderish looks like a leader. And, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not taking anything away from what he said. I got to wonder a little bit though, guys on that team would turn to him and say, look, you've been around here, what 20 minutes and you've been hurt most of that time. Uh, don't, don't talk to me about being a leader. Uh, it's a little bit like the Sean Lee, as long as he's been around, he's been a terrific player at times when he's been healthy, but you know, if, if you can't get on the field and can't stay on the field, uh, you're probably not a leader. Uh, and, and I think that it seems to me, we know, I, I can pretty much unequivocally say that uh, Dak Prescott is a leader, that this is a guy who works hard, is well-respected. Uh, this is somebody that, you know, I don't have any problem giving big money to a guy who is that, to a guy who is not only a, a really good player, but he's a terrific leader, terrific person. Those things all seem to fall in line with Dak Prescott. Problem for me is that when you're giving big money to guys, uh, and this happened with the Rangers with Juan Gonzalez. I hate to do what Evan likes to do and hijack. Why are you hijacking the segment, Kevin? The Rangers say, but that's what that was Juan Gonzalez's problem. 
you know, when he got a lot of money and he's, he was the furthest thing from a leader. So uh, on this defense, you know, who would you identify as the guys that, that day in and day out are leaders on this team? Well, that's a, that's a good point. And when you have a unit that, that performed at historically bad at a historically bad level, uh, it's hard to find a leader, at least a positive leader. Uh, we were just talking about a guy, and, and that's another, I think, that, that goes into his mystique, uh, Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith was a captain. He, he was a self-professed leader of this defense. He would talk at times about this being my defense. So when you're talking about my defense and it gives up the most points in franchise history, the second most yards on the ground, um, you're – you're culpable for that. You know, you, you have to deal with the fallout, which is uh, uh, just another element of, of at least Jalen, you know, and some of it is, I think Jalen was willing to take the responsibility in public and was trying to be a stand up guy. But even in doing that, he came across as someone that, uh, well, who are you to talk about this being my defense? There are better players than you on this defense. The best, the best defenders to Marcus Lawrence. And, uh, he plays hard. Um, he's, he plays hard in practice. The players like him, but he is not, uh, he leads by example and, uh, performance and, uh, practice habits, not by, um, verbally, uh, telling guys what to do or getting in their face. If he sees that they're not, uh, putting out the effort, uh, really on the defensive side of the ball, the only player who was that was Sean Lee. And, and like you say, if you're not out there, you know, Sean Lee has been there for so long and has such respect in the locker room by the players who have been there. He still has uh, that respect where if he says something and because of the way he says it, because he has relationships with those players, they will listen to it. Um, Leighton Van Der Esch is not to that level. Uh, he hasn't played long enough. And it is they've seen him make mistakes when he's been out there as well, uh, more so more so than Sean Lee did. So it's like, OK, not only do you not play, but you're you know, you're making mistakes. So who are you uh, to jump on me about this when you don't have your house in order? So uh, it, it was such an underperforming defense last year. It was hard for anyone to, to take on the leadership mantle. Listen, we could do we could do a whole show, and maybe we should do a whole show one day on the um, on the mischaracterization of leadership in sports. Because I think fans see guys get all up in arms and emotional on in games, and that's the visual that they see as leadership. The we see guys who are front and center and willing to talk about the idea of leadership in the media and oftentimes mislabel them as leaders um, and guys who perform David, as you just mentioned DeMarcus Lawrence, sometimes we label those guys as leaders because they simply perform. I, I think very but rarely, temperamentally they're not right. Know? Very rarely do you get the intersection of performance, emotion, and, um, and that ability to verbally encourage or verbally work with, with teammates. And, and I think you made a great point in regards to Sean Lee. Uh, sometimes you don't have to perform if you've earned enough respect in the locker room, if you've, if you've earned enough respect with your playing performance over time, that guys, that guys follow you. That's when you become a leader is when you look around and guys all of a sudden are following you. 
And uh, I, I think the best leaders don't necessarily claim themselves to be leaders. They just claim to they claim to try and be a teammate and and, and do their job. And so I, I think in some regards, it's a long way around of saying. Uh, we've got a, several teams in this in this market that don't really have leaders right now, and you know what? It's also okay to not necessarily have a leader if you've got a strong ensemble, all of whom do all those different elements and do them together, because it's a lot to put on one or two people. It really is. All right, let's uh, let's get out of the leadership forum. This is not a TED talk. We're gonna we're gonna talk now before we get out of the Cowboys uh, stuff. We got to get out of here. You guys are just rambling on me. I, I'm trying not to ride herd too much on all this. Uh, let let's talk because you always stay on point. I think Evan and I would be the first to say that. Yes, <laughs> is that uh, we we saw development over the weekend. We saw that Caleb Farley, uh, the Virginia Tech cornerback, uh, is going to have, or maybe has already had, uh, um, micro disc surgery. Uh, and 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 you know that sounds terrible. Anytime somebody's messing with somebody's back, I have no idea how uh, you know difficult that might be. I believe Calvin Watkins talked to Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, and Rosenhaus said that he should be ready by the end of July. Uh, but you know how this goes. It gets down to the end here, get coming up to the draft. And when you decide that, oh boy, we take this guy or that guy, well, this guy just had surgery. Let's go with the guy who hasn't had any surgery. And uh, especially when you're, when you're picking 10th in the draft. So in, in Mel Kuyper's uh, latest mock draft, which came out Monday, uh, he has four quarterbacks going, uh, the first picks. And then the, the next four picks are either a tight end Kyle Pitts or wide receivers, and then he has Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon, going at nine. And then that dumps Patrick Sertain uh, from Alabama, the cornerback, to the Cowboys at 10. Uh, I wouldn't call that a dump. Well, okay. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to put it that way. Uh, he's certainly available to the Cowboys at 10. Uh, I mean, I think that'd be a very attractive pick for them. Do you? Well, I, think, I think it would be a good pick. I, I, you know, everything you see, you know, I, I saw him play, you know, he didn't get challenged very much. And there were times when he kind of let somebody go a little bit. And that's the concern about Patrick Sertani is that he's not real fast. Uh, he doesn't have top end speed. Now, supposedly at his pro day, that's what everybody's looking for. If he tests at a four, four, then, then that'll be fine. You know, if he's a four, five or a four, six, then people are going to have a little concern of whether he's going to be able to be, a lockdown corner in the NFL. So uh, having said that, David, if there's enough question about Patrick Sertain, let's say that at nine, Penny Sewell, or that, that Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle, who's considered a, a dominant offensive tackle, a guy who's going to walk right in somewhere and be a dominant left tackle for the next 10 years in the NFL. Uh, if he should fall to the Cowboys there, they got a, a choice between, I don't think that would happen, but if they had a choice between Sewell and Sertain, do you think they might tempt, be tempted to go with the offensive tackle? Well, uh, not having seen their boards, and they're going to you know, walk through and talk through all of these scenarios that they're going to have uh, that will potentially present themselves to them at 10. Um, you know, Sewell would have to be there, – there's no question the bigger immediate need is cornerback. That being said, if you believe – that you have a generational sort of tackle, which some people believe Sewell is, how could you overlook him there, especially given the issues you've had with Tyron Smith of late? Now, 
I think it's too early to, to say on that. I mean, I, I mean, I think you have to get a better bead on what they feel uh, certain and, uh, you know, also Farley, which, which is how we kind of started this conversation. And, and Farley me is very interesting because I, I think that uh, uh, there was a, a serious internal debate between certain and Farley. Uh, like, you know, the Cowboys like both players. There's a belief, I think, not just on the Cowboys, but elsewhere, that with Farley, you may have a little bit higher ceiling, uh, a little bit more athletic ability there, more speed, uh, you know, gives you uh, just a, a few more options to match up down the road, even though Sertain is, is technically outstanding. Um, but, you know, I, I think... To me, Farley's really interesting now how this is going to cloud or impact the conversation because uh, it's, you know, it's a it's an outpatient procedure. I mean, mean, he's, you know, Farley has the procedure on Tuesday and is out at the end of the day. Uh, He's still meeting with teams later this week. But this is a micro dissectomy. And this is what Tony Romo had. It's what Tiger Woods has had several of. And not being a doctor, my concern would be, okay, now Caleb Farley is getting this right now, which is at the absolute worst time to get it as far as his draft stock, uh, because it's going to potentially impact his draft stock. Now, if he just came off of a season, that would be one thing. He didn't even play this past season. You know, he opted out under COVID rules. He hasn't played since the 2019 season. And this is a guy that was just moved from receiver to cornerback, uh, you know, back in 2018. So he hasn't had a lot of time at the position. He didn't play this past year. Now he's getting a microdisectomy. My, my untrained, with my no medical training, that sends up a red flag a little bit that a guy who didn't even play this past season is having a micro dissectomy in March heading into the draft in April. Yeah. That's always a, an issue, isn't it? When you see guys that they, they the, the season's been over for months, uh, then right before training camp, they have some kind of procedure. I, I know that in some cases guys do do that just so they can avoid training camp. Uh, and that has been a, a concern. I'm not saying that's been the case here with him, at all, the last thing you want to do is have this happen to you right before the draft, as you pointed out. Boy, I, I think it's got to raise some red flags as far as uh, uh, taking him at ten. Well, he's, at 10- he's still going to be taken. He because he's he's you know arguably the top corner or the second best corner in this draft. But uh, this news, I think, is going to bump him down the the draft list of some teams. Before we go on to uh, our, our other segments, I wanted to, to real quickly talk about uh, what you think the Cowboys might do the rest of the week uh, in free agency. Uh, we Obviously, we talked about Keanu Neal being added. Do you, do you foresee the possibility they could still add another safety through free agency? Well, they're bringing in two more uh, this week. Uh, Demontre Kazee and uh, Malik Hooker are both coming in. Uh, two other guys who have coming off uh, ACL injuries, uh, significant injuries that have uh, impacted their career. Uh, they will sign the best available injured safety in their minds. Uh, now, both of these guys should be ready. Uh, either of these guys should be ready to go 
certainly by training camp and, and uh, whatever form this offseason program takes, uh, the league and the union still have not determined what the offseason in the NFL is going to look like this year uh, from a practice standpoint. But uh, either of those guys should be ready. And, and, and as you talked about, Keanu Neal is the, the strong safety, the in-the-box safety. Hooker and Kazee are both um, um, – they're both free safeties. They're, they're both the coverage guys. And I think I said earlier, uh, ACL, excuse me, they, those were Achilles injuries, both of them uh, coming back off of. So they will look at both, um, talk to both, and then uh, one or the other is, is my belief will uh, wind up with the contract very soon. Which would be amazing. The Cowboys actually uh, paying attention to safeties. I thought that they had just given up on the position, uh, you know, altogether. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. These guys have been injured, you know, uh, yeah. and Neil too. I mean, so whoever they sign, uh, th- there's an injury history there. While they're younger players with ability, um, you have seen their careers. Uh, look, with the talent level of all three of these players, none of them would be on the free agent market now. You always have to ask, why did they get to the market? And it's injuries. And uh, sometimes those fr- players can be the most frustrating because right when they take hold and you see what they can do for your team, uh, an injury takes them out of the mix. Yeah. And, of course, and pro- prospects of being one-year deals like Neil are probably pretty good as well. Yeah, you know? it will be a one-year deal, no yeah. question. All right, we've talked about the the Cowboys and uh, where they need to be going here in the draft and in free agency and leadership and uh, Ruggie Odor and Jalen Smith being roomies. Uh, And so uh, now we're next on just lead us right into uh, the Rangers and uh, and their bullpen um, and the problems they've been uh, having there, Evan. Are these guys – here's what I need to know, Evan. Are they faking these injuries to get out of the season? That's what I want to know. Um, <clears throat> no, no. Uh, I, I, I can, I, I, I'm pretty sure. No, uh, maybe, maybe it's their tanking strategy. Maybe that's part of it. Um, but they have, uh, they will go into the season at this point in time with six relievers on the DL or the IL, um, as we call it now. And I, I could make a case that those six relievers would have constituted basically the bulk of their bullpen um, for the 2021 season uh, before those injuries. The late most, the most recent is Jose Leclerc, who um, left, uh, left Monday uh, to go back to Texas and is going to have his elbow examined. And the Rangers have already acknowledged that it's going to be a significant amount of time that he misses. So I, I fully expect to, hear that he's going to have Tommy John surgery. Uh, Previously to that, Jonathan Hernandez, who was their best reliever last year, while Jose Leclerc was dealing with an injury behind his shoulder, um, uh, was lost to a sprain in his elbow ligament, which the Rangers don't believe will require surgery, but is probably going to cost him at least two months. And and those are – those were their best and brightest pitchers uh, in in the bullpen. And and so those were guys who – I think they wanted to further establish themselves uh, as as anchors for a bullpen that was that was going to go forward as as this team kind of went forward. And and now you're looking at a situation where the two guys who are probably going to pitch the most high leverage innings, at least out of the gate, 
are the two oldest pitchers in camp. So it doesn't, on the surface at least, it doesn't line up with the quote-unquote youth movement. Yeah, at this point, you're just trying to patch everything together and uh, be able to run something out there. I, I, you know, I don't have a problem with Matt Bush and Ian Kennedy being in the back end of the bullpen at this point. Like, really, who cares? You know, and, and that's that's kind of my feeling about the bullpen in general. It, the, the bullpen is such a year-to-year proposition. If you're in a rebuilding process anyway, I don't take this as a significant setback. It's a setback from the standpoint of, all right, how are we going to put this together? We don't want to, you know, embarrass ourselves. We don't, you know, we're trying to build a little bit of a culture here. Yeah. Those are all problematic, but if I'm going to have problems anywhere uh, on a team, I, I want it to be in my bullpen, a, a young rebuilding team. Well, I, again, for me, you had the possibility that if Leclerc was healthy and pitched well, this is a guy you could potentially trade at the deadline as he moves into the second half of, of his long-term contract and continue the churn. Hernandez has one year of experience, and that being a short year, but he was really, really good and could be could be the face of this bullpen for several years. Um, and and th- that's the kind of guy that I wanted to have a, a full and healthy season if I'm the Rangers. Uh, what I do think it presents is opportunities for some other younger guys like Josh Spores, the guy they got from Los Angeles, um, basically on a what amounted to a waiver claim when the Dodgers took him off their 40-man roster following the signing of Trevor Bauer. So uh, it, it's possible the Rangers could end up with some uh, – some benefits from the Trevor Bauer signing. Uh, they, they've got um, – uh, it, it's also unfortunate that Demarcus Evans, uh, who is another young, promising reliever with a, with a, plus, with a plus arm, is going to open the season on the I.L. and will probably be out a month. These are the guys I want to get experience this year. I do think from your perspective that, hey, if they're hurt, let them be hurt this year and save – save mileage on their arm. And when this team is ready to contend, hopefully they'll be younger than their, their, their birthday, their arms will be younger than their birth dates. Uh, but I, I, I just don't think it's a good development for the Rangers on, on any level right now. They needed some stability just around this team. And, and I think it just creates another, another area for instability. Uh, speaking of instability, let's let's talk a little bit about the center field position. I know that's been discussed a lot about uh, Leody Tavares, and uh, obviously they uh, were wanting him to play center field and bat leadoff, or at least Chris Woodward was, and then he did not respond well to hitting leadoff. I want to say first of all, I thought that was too much for Tavares. You know, you 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 know, it's a a, a brand new guy who really hadn't shown any of that in the minor leagues, not, not the kind of makeup to be the kind of guy you would want to be a leadoff hitter. You're asking him to play center field, which is going to be you know difficult enough. I mean, he can do that. Obviously he's, he's very good at it. Uh, and he hit better last year. He showed more pop than, than what everybody was expecting in a, in a very small sample size, but then to say, okay, now we want you to be the leadoff hitter too. I just thought it was a lot to ask of him. And, uh, and it seemed to me that, uh, you know, Woodward is the kind of guy who, or the kind of manager who, you know, makes a lot of excuses for guys. And he'll, he'll eventually say they need to be doing something, but he will also uh, be very gentle about it. And it seemed like he was taking a hard line with one guy. It's like, why are you taking a hard line with Leone Tavares? 
Well, I, you know, sometimes that's that's just the way it ends up is that they they take the hard line with the most unproven guys. I, I go back to 2001 or 2002 when Jerry Naren, another really decent man who who managed this club and was thrust into a bad situation with a rebuilding team, pulled Kevin Mench out of a game for not running hard, and you were going to make an, a, an excuse. You were going to make a an example of Kevin Mench when you had a bunch of veteran guys underachieving on that, on that roster. So um, sometimes they're just the easy target. I think the Rangers perspective on Leody Tavares was look, they view him as a leadoff hitter and center fielder long-term and that they were going to allow him to embrace this challenge uh, as long as he possibly could in spring training. And if it worked out great, if not, they could pull back. He's played well in center field. He runs well. He's an above-average defender. He's made some adjustments at the plate. But I agree, and I asked about this before spring training started, is it too much to put on a 23-year-old to say center field and leadoff? And I think the Rangers' perspective at that point was, no, not right now. We're going to ask right now, and if he can't do it, he can't do it. But we're going to give that opportunity. So is Eli White – out of the conversation now to com- compete with Leote in center field? If you grade both players out this spring, I think they've both graded out well defensively. Um, they've both graded out well in terms of running the bases. I think where Eli has graded out better is, I believe he's taken five walks to Leote's one, and Eli's got a 400 on-base percentage. Leote's got a 281 on-base percentage for this small sample in spring, but it's right on track with where Leote was last year. And so I think Eli has controlled the strike zone a little bit better. But this is not as simple as it typically would be going into a season because there is no minor league season that's going to start on April 1 when the big league season starts. So if you send one of these guys out, they're either going to have to repeat spring training all over again with the minor leaguers or go to the alt site where they're not going to play regular games or be on the taxi squad, which will be based in Arlington and will basically just be a bunch of guys who are on the bench, but not on the active roster. Um, and, And so I think it behooves the Rangers this year to put them both on the roster and put them, make them both prepare for games in, in April and let them both play in April. And let's see what happens um, when the lights come on and when when games actually do matter. That's that's what I think I would do if I'm the Rangers in at least in April. Um, Eli White probably, for most people, projects as a fourth outfielder uh, long-term. And if that's his role, he can serve that role on this club right now. He can play center field a couple days a week. He can play left field against a, a left-hander for, for David Dahl. He can play right field if Joey Gallo needs a day at DH. There's there's opportunities for him to play and for both of them to play, and I really think they should. So I guess that means that Delano the Shields does not have a role for this team. Going I, I, don't, I don't think so. I, I think part of you know, you get into so many different elements, but the bullpen situation is going to force the Rangers to take at least three or four guys who are non-roster invitees and place them on the 40-man roster. Delino is a non-roster invitee, and so he'd have to be – they'd have to create more room for him on the 40-man roster. And at that point in time, you're going to start pairing down players that make more sense for you long-term than a guy like Delino would. So I don't know that Delino has gotten the look that 
I, that maybe he was expecting this spring. But I also think that based on where the Rangers are at right now, probably this club needs to look at the younger players more than it does um, add Delino as, as a bench guy. Yeah. Uh, so you were uh, trying to uh, shoehorn Ruge into the conversation earlier when we were talking about the Cowboys and uh, the situation that they had when their uh, uh, leadership void on defense and as well as when we talked about uh, what their needs are in the draft and in free agency. Uh, so let's talk about Ruge right now. Uh he is playing awfully well uh, at third base. He's playing. He's playing good defense, uh, and he is, uh, and he's been hitting well. Of course, he he always typically hits well in the spring. But the thing, the difference for me this year is that yeah, but he's playing third base well, uh, and and that is, I mean, I mean to get that kind of combination. Uh, I know fans are frustrated with Ruggie. Uh, everybody's frustrated with Ruggie, but. You know, if if we're only asking this guy to do this until Josh Young gets ready, and of course we need to talk about that as well. Josh <laughs> Young just had uh, a screw put in his foot, uh, of all things, because he had a stress fracture there, and so he'll be out uh, for. And he is expected to miss at least a couple of weeks of the minor league season as it starts at AAA. But isn't that a, to me? That's one of the most positive developments of the spring, isn't it? I think Ruggie's defense has been an unabashed positive development. I, I think that it has his performance at third base has surprised everyone, and um, you can you can say whatever you want about the ball flying in Arizona when you're trying to grade hitters. You can say whatever you want about hitters facing minor league pitchers. You can say whatever you would like about pitchers. Um, not being able to get the ball sink in Arizona when you're trying to evaluate players. But one thing that holds up is if you can make defensive plays in Arizona, you can make defensive plays in the regular season. Um, the ground here is often very hard during spring training and balls take weird bounces. You've got the quote unquote high sky, the bright, the, the, the lighter blue sky that makes make fielding pop-ups more difficult and in Ruggie's case, you've got the unusual situation of a guy moving from the right side of the infield to the left side of the infield, and he's seen everything and anticipated things pretty well. I think the biggest problem that I've seen with Ruggie at third base is, once again, on plays where he's got plenty of time. I've seen him double clutch and double pump the ball, and that's when his throws have gotten a little bit errant. But when he is moving instinctively and decisively, like on these slow rollers to third base, um, when he's got to charge balls or when he's got to move to his right or his left pretty quick, he's making decisions, going with them. His instincts have been right, and his throws have been very true. Uh, and, and just to the, the the sky thing, we saw him make a very nice over-the-shoulder, over the back-to-the-infield catch of a pop-up early in spring training. So, I, I think on all the tests defensively, he's passed. I also don't think that that means you install Rugnet Odor as your everyday third baseman. I think you go into the season with the idea of he and probably Charlie Culberson platooning at third base. Uh, and if Rugi hits, he gets some more opportunities against left-handers. And if he hits against left-handers, maybe he plays the position full-time. But I, I, I don't think that at this point, you look at it and say, okay, third base is yours every day of the week. 
So, uh, you know, one, one guy we really haven't talked about much uh, and who was kind of awarded a position and, uh, and had questions last year is at second base with Nick Solak. Uh, and what, do you, what have you seen from him this spring to make you think that he has earned that position? Well, I saw a really slow start, and he really looked bad on um, on fastballs early in camp. Uh, I, I think he he leads the team in strikeouts, and he had a ton of swing and miss early in camp. But what I've seen here in the last 10 days is a guy who's made adjustments. I think he's hit three homers in the last week. They've all been to the opposite field. His batting average and, and his, his batting average for spring has pushed up above um, three, 320. And his, his OPS has pushed, pushed up close to 1,000. Um, he has improved uh, offensively as the spring has gone on. And listen, Kevin, we, I, can, I can break down his defense for you, and I can break down Ruggie's defense just like I did. But what's going to keep those guys on the field is whether or not they hit. And, and, and I think the most important thing is that Solak's offense has, has, um, has picked up over the, over the last 10 days. I think he's moved well enough around second base. There was there was one play early on that did not look good to me, but he turned a double play yesterday with uh, with seeming ease. Um, and, and so I think that you know they will go into the season with Solak as their second baseman. But I also think he goes in having to hold the job, not being awarded the job long term. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So let's go over, uh, and, and you have written about this, the, uh, the lineup. Uh, if you were to project it right now, give me your uh, first four hitters. Uh, my first four hitters, um, I, can I give you three? Um, uh, I, I can go with Kiner Falefa at the leadoff spot, David Dahl, number two, and um, Gallo, number three. I think the big question is who hits number four? Um, Chris Davis has come a little bit to life here, um, in the last week. That is what the Rangers would love. They'd love a right-handed hitter to sandwich between say Gallo and the doll Gallo combination and maybe Odor, um, and Nate Lowe. Uh, so if you could, if, if you get something out of Chris Davis, that would be great. And if, if that fits, then you can start to put together the bottom half of the lineup a lot easier. I think you got to go with Chris Davis as the number four hitter to start the season, uh, just because he's right-handed, just because he's got that, because uh, pitchers will respect him at least for a while until he shows that uh, he, he he's not going to uh, be the hitter that he once was. Uh, he has a little cachet. In if, if he's on your roster, he's got to be your number four hitter. That He's on your roster to be your number four hitter. So if the Rangers have made the decision to keep him, and I think that at this point they have, if they've made that decision, then, yeah, he needs to be the number four hitter to start the season, and then we we, we see where things progress. Yeah. Uh, Evan, is there anything else you'd like to talk about with the Rangers before we move on and talk about the Mavericks? I know that you're going to have to get it. No, wait, I'd like to relate all of this to the Cowboys. Absolutely. Please. Can I do that? No, yes. oh, no, no. Oh, that's Evan's thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, you, you can't talk about how Ruggie reminds you of James <laughs> Smith either. Uh, you know, this reliever situation, I was thinking about Ben DiNucci and, and, and Andy Dalton and Gilbert <laughs> ben, last year and, ben and, and how the club juggled those different arms to kind of get themselves in position to lose. 
Yeah. Uh, I actually, I'll tell you what, Ben DiNucci might not be a bad option for the Rangers bullpen at this point. <laughs> he, he reminds me of Darren O'Day a little bit. He flings yeah, it, maybe. He has he that sidearm delivery. That yeah, he likes to bring that thing down there like that. Yeah. Ben DiNucci. I'm, I'm, I'm predicting right now that Ben DiNucci never throws another pass in the NFL. DiNucci. I don't know about that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, don't know. I don't know much, but I know that. <laughs> I'll say that much. Evan, anything else you want to add on the Rangers? No, I, I just think, you know, this is the last week of camp here, and there's still a lot of questions to answer. I, I think that we're still not certain whether Ronald Guzman or Nate Lowe will play at first base. I think they're both going to be on the roster, but I think one's going to DH more and one's going to one's going to DH with Chris Davis and one's going to play first base. And I, I don't know if the Rangers are going to give Nate Lowe every day at bats at first base right now. He's looked better in the last week as well. And Guzman has started to, to slip a little bit. So that's still got to be decided. We mentioned the center field situation. Um, I, I need to understand how the tandem starters are going to work uh, at the back end of the, of the rotation um, and, and who's going to make up that group. I think you've still got six guys in competition for four spots. Um so there's there's still a significant amount to be decided for a team that 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 um, I, nobody is expecting to make a run for anything. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I guess it's, that's probably typical of where this club is. Yeah, probably so. Evan, thanks for stopping by and uh, and sitting in with us. I know you got uh, some work to do. You got to go talk to some uh, people and do important things, more important things than talking to us. So uh, we appreciate your time and uh, and your efforts. Kevin, as I often like to say when I'm um, trying to blow somebody off, I've got people to see and things to do. So. <laughs> Evan, let's bring him over your whole career. Kevin, just work on adding a few more old people phrases so that Jose has something to do, okay? Has something to mark over there? Okay, I'll do that. All right. Thanks, Evan. Uh, All right, Grandpappy. And we'll, and we'll check you next week and bring back some more information as the Rangers get ready for the for opening day. Uh, that's, that's creeping up on us here pretty soon. Uh, and we've, uh, we've also talked about the Cowboys and the, uh, uh, and the issues that they have, uh, going forward here in free agency and what they might do and how that's going to impact their, their draft decisions. Um, uh, things are starting to kind of shape up a little bit for them there. And now we're going to talk about, uh, the Mavericks, uh, also some decisions that have to be made by those guys, uh, pretty soon. And, uh, as they come up on the trade deadline, you know, we, we, we know that, uh, that of all things, Mark Cuban despises leaks, you know, he, he's kind of like Donald Trump that way, you know, it is, 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 uh, more he's like Donald Trump in a lot of ways, yes, which, is. which is why they probably butt heads the way they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Mark right. would hate to hear that, but yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. I've always thought that, you know, uh, about he got a little bit, he's got a little disdain for us sometimes, you know, I always thought that when you're, we were standing on there before games and he's up on the treadmill, sweating, sweating and, on your notes as you take yeah, notes, like, as you, get his quotes. I, you know, I really, <laughs> it was, it was all I could take just to stand there sometimes and take notes like this. Like, really, couldn't you just talk to us? Couldn't you just stand <laughs> here and talk to us? Do you have to work out now? Is that, is that really necessary? you to do this now I, I always thought this was this was this is my take on you guys i'm gonna sweat all over you so anyway well in fairness i don't think that the former president was working out when he talked to reporters so there is one difference there between mark and 
yeah. the former president. <laughs> I do not think that the former president ever stepped on a treadmill unless he was on his way to the golf course and it was cutting through the uh, workout room first. You know, maybe, maybe that was it. So, so anyway, uh, the, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the Mavericks uh, ending up with Andre Drummond. This thing just, just, you just can't kill it. Uh, it just goes on and on. And I, and I, for, frankly, I have a little trouble seeing how he fits into what they do anyway. You know, they decided that they, you know, DeAndre Jordan didn't really fit and he was a tremendous rebounder, right? So the, so the, the Mavericks, you know, have, can't rebound hardly at all. They're a terrible rebounding team. Uh, if it, if it weren't, I think that's one of the reasons why that the Luka Doncic gets so many triple doubles is because who else is getting those rebounds? Uh, but I, 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 I have a little troubles. I'm struggling with it, but, but mostly I'm struggling with the fact that, that Drummond makes $28 million for them to make a, a trade work uh, between the Mavericks and the Cavs. They'd have to put two guys together or multiple guys that would, uh, so the numbers would wash. And, and to do that, the most logical thing is, well, you, you take James Johnson, who's not playing very much uh, these days. And you take Dwight Powell, who, who is just really hasn't recovered from his Achilles injury and, uh, and is not playing well either, certainly not playing as well as they, they hoped he would. Those two contracts would make it work. And, and James Johnson's contract is an expiring contract, and that's always an attractive situation. Uh, but Dwight Powell's isn't. He's got two years left, $22 million left in that contract. I, I don't see the Cavs wanting that and, unless they could get a second-round pick as well. But even at that, if they get the second-round pick and those two guys, they, uh, they still don't have to pay Dwight Powell for two more years. So I want to see what you think of the possibility that, that uh, Andre Drummond ever plays for the Mavericks. Well, I think it's slim. Uh, I don't, I think it's pretty difficult to make this work. And, and, you know, you're right. It's not, yes, Dallas needs to improve its rebounding, but how do you go about that? Is it, you know, and does how does that player fit into your concept otherwise? It's not just about improving your rebounding. It's about improving your rebounding with a player who fits the style uh, that you go with offensively and, and your pace and all of that. And um, you, you can adapt any system, but, you know, you, you can get too far outside of a system with a player, too, that brings you something uh, that you have to accommodate on the other side of the ball that's not all that productive to you. So, um, you know, it, it's it, you look at what Golden State has done. They haven't had traditional rebounders per se, but they've had, uh, you know, athletic rebounders because of the style of they play who get more rebounds. So you, you have to fit in style. You have to fit in athletic ability and, and, and pace. And uh, I think Drummond would make them better. But, you know, we talked about this last week. Uh, unless you can – trade and get a player right now who you are convinced is going to be part of your nucleus going forward. I question why you would do it because of how this season has unfolded and where they are in their development. Um, this team just hasn't played together that much. And, and while it's uneven, you're starting to see signs over these last couple of weeks that they can be the sort of team that they want it to be going into the season that defensively over courses of games, they can shut down the other team and, and gain the edge and then play the game out that way, the way they did in Portland the other night. Uh, you know, the adjustment they made after losing the first game in Portland when they came back and played in the second, 
uh, I, I thought was pretty impressive. And that's another thing about this regular season that I think really helps a young team like the Mavericks in that in a lot of ways, this regular season is unfolding in many playoff bursts. You know, usually the regular season, you play a game, you go on to the next city, the next night or whatever. Now you're playing back-to-backs, which are just like a playoff game. So really, you could look at this Portland exchange as they went to Portland to open a playoff series. Portland took the first game. Well, they made the adjustments coming back off of that game uh, and caught Portland off guard in the second game with their adjustments. And that's what you do in the playoffs. And so I think this is really a good practice for a young team. And you're seeing some encouraging things from Dallas here. But getting back to your point on Drummond, to me, that's another reason why unless you get a guy who you are convinced is going to be part of your nucleus going forward, I don't know why you would make a significant deal leading up to this deadline because this team is just now to the point where they've played together long enough to start to get a feel for each other. And you know what it is you actually have. You introduce another player into that. You're going to take a step back. Now, if you're taking a step back with the eye to the future, great. But if you're just taking a step back this year on the idea that, well, this gives us an element, it may make us a little bit more competitive this year. Uh, I don't know that it's worth it to do that. And your other point is they don't have a lot of first round picks to throw around because of uh, uh, the Knicks having those. And that's those are thrown in to get trades done. and, And they're in a very difficult spot to do that. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, it's, it's interesting to me because you talked about that Portland game uh, the other night, and uh, and that was a phenomenal effort. You know, and I, when the game started out, I thought that they're just they're just not good enough to beat Portland. You know, not with McCollum and and Lillard both. Uh, you know, and then all of a sudden they just turned it on and played such great defense. Uh, and and of course, Josh Richardson has been a big part of that. Dorian Finney-Smith, of course, that's what his calling card is. That's what he's there for. Um, and it, it brings up interesting questions to me about this, this team and what it can do. Cause our old pal, Brad Townsend said the other day, if they don't make the second round, then this year is a disappointment, which I, you know, that's a strong commentary. And, and I, and I've thought about that and, and I'm, and I've wondered, is it really, uh, obviously you would, you would like to see them move forward, right? This is a Luka Doncic, you know, uh, third year and, and you want to see him, uh, or going into his third year, you want to see him be able to make, you know, uh, improvements as he, you know, advances as they go along. But, uh, I don't want to give them too many excuses. They did. They were kind of ravaged by, by COVID. Uh, they, uh, lost a lot of, uh, playing time. Guys have been slow to respond. Josh Richardson being one of the prime examples of that. Uh, I think we're starting to see now the kind of impact he can make uh, on, uh, on this team. And certainly he can make against other teams with his defense. Uh, and, he, and he's a guy who's on a, an expiring contract as well. Uh, and a decision they're going to have to make about him. I would like to see them see the very best of Josh Richardson here over the remainder of the season and in the playoffs. See if he's a guy you would like to keep. Uh, I, I don't think He's at that third wheel. I don't think he's the guy that's going to put you over the hump. Uh, so I, I, I don't know that, you know, and I don't know if he wants to come back in that scenario. If he feels like I'm going to be the odd man out here, I, you know, I don't want to be a sixth man. If, if, you know, if they go out and, and, uh, and are able to attract somebody 
to become that third star that the, I think that they still need. So I think there are interesting things to be still to be found out about this Mavericks team uh, for the, over the remainder of the season. And I'm kind of like you, they, they show that when they're backed into a corner, they're capable of doing some pretty big things. Now, when you make your first eight three pointers in a game uh, as Luka Doncic did uh, against Portland the other night, uh, then, then pretty much anything can happen. And, and of course, we know that with Luca. That's that's what he's capable of. Uh, he is capable of lifting this club over what its actual capabilities might be. Um, but and and I wonder, is that enough for you at this point, just to see, kind of to ride this out then and see what they can do uh, and, and to get some more answers out of this team going into the summer. Well, you made a transition this year. You want to be a better defensive team, especially on the perimeter. You want to be a little bit tougher. You want to be able to stand up to that uh, surge and that force that you get when you go into the postseason. Uh, Dallas did not do that last year against the Clippers. Uh, take this team in and see if they've made improvement there and how far along they are. Um, you know, I agree it will be a disappointment because once a team starts to climb, everyone expects a stair-step climb. Fans expect a stair-step climb. They, you don't say, oh, you're back to the playoffs. Well, just getting back to the playoffs the next year is enough. You want to take that next step in the playoffs, which would be the second round. I will say I think that's going to be very difficult for this team uh, based on where they are and, and how much they can rise in the standings. And I know people are saying, well, the standings are going to look different here with the, with the Lakers and the injury problems they have. Uh, over these next few weeks. Yeah, but I'm not sure how much that really impacts Dallas from the standpoint of, um, yeah, the Lakers may fall down in the standings a little bit, but they were at the top. You know, they're not going to make up much ground. I, I guess where it could impact them is the Lakers could fall back <laughs> far enough to where they wind up facing the Mavericks in the first round. And, and yeah, then, and you can talk about, okay, uh, Dallas should be, it's a disappointment if they don't get past the first round. But if they wind up facing the Lakers in the first round, would it really be a disappointment? Would it be really unexpected? I mean, I, I would argue it'd be highly unexpected for them uh, to get back to the second round of that. So I think you have to wait and see who the opponent is going to be. Um, but th this team, this team's not going to win it this year. You want to see improvement. And to me, improvement would be, even if they went out in the first round, if they're a tougher out. Uh, if they can adapt and play different styles and play a, a slower, more physical game in the playoffs, which you're going to be forced to play at times in order to win. Uh, that's, I think, what the organization is looking for. Yeah, and I, and I agree with that. And, I, and I'm, I'm with you. Uh, in the West, the, the first four teams, uh, look, those, those are four tough draws. I mean, you're, you're going to have, you're going to have a really difficult time with any of those. And, and, uh, I, I just have a hard time saying that, yeah, it's going to be a disappointment or it'd be, you can be disappointed. Uh, but it was like a, a step backwards. I, I don't consider it a step backwards. If you make the playoffs, you make a, a good run in that first round, you play six or seven games and make it a, a hard six or seven games, uh, pretty much like they did last year. I, I, I still think that that's, I still think that's pretty good. Maybe I'm being too soft. It is. And, and very quickly, I will say, I know we need to go here, but I, I would also say that, you know, so often, um, let's say they get in, let's say they, they go and they lose, you know, 
three, two in the first round, whatever. I mean, they're, they're knocked out, you know, and you can just go, Oh, they were one game from advancing to the second round. I would argue that's the wrong way to look at it. They were eight games from advancing because they needed to get into the top four. So you can't just look at a team, you know, how it does in the postseason and go, Oh, they were just two games away from getting to the next round. So often what you're really talking about is their consistency over the course of the regular season. And you need to get in the top four, not just for the home home court advantage, but to get an inferior opponent. Uh, And that's what the rate, so you can't dismiss the regular season either. And uh, they were put in a bind early because of where they were and are fighting uphill all the way on that. So this year's a little bit different, but next year, uh, regardless of what happens in the postseason, the Mavericks need to be a team that challenged for a top four spot in the Western Conference, regardless of how stacked it is with talent. Otherwise, I think that would be a step back for this franchise. Yeah, you go in the, and then then you have to worry at that point. That, that would mean to me that they didn't add a significant uh, third piece uh, in the summer exactly. if they're yeah. not doing that. And, uh, and then you got to worry about uh, what is Luka Doncic going to start thinking about all this. And is he going to start saying, hey, I want out of here, which is be the Mavericks' worst nightmare. So uh, we've, we've talked about the Cowboys and uh, their prospects for the, uh, the draft uh, and in the uh, in free agency. Uh, and then we're going to talk more about the draft as, as time goes by here because it's going to be coming up on us pretty soon. Uh, we also talked about the Rangers and uh, as uh, the bullpen implodes uh, and uh, their prospects otherwise, and things are starting to shape up, but they still have a lot of questions left and just a week left in the spring training schedule to answer those questions and also the Mavericks prospects going forward and at the trade deadline. So for everybody in here and everybody out there, thanks for coming by and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>